Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it is Friday, February 8th, I believe. We've wrapped up, believe it or not, the fourth week, the first month of the legislative session. For those of you counting down at home, it's only three short weeks till turnaround. Uh, so the pace of things are really going to pick up. Uh, familiar figure with me today, not our usual KSB advocacy team, but we wanted to start uh, with talking about some big developments coming up this week. The first hearing on the governor's proposal to reamortize capers. And no one better to explain what that means and what some of the issues are and what the legislature may be dealing with than Alan Conroy, the executive director of Capers. We're going we're gonna to have Alan walk us through some information, and then when we're done, we'll give you a chance to see if you can relay any questions. And then we'll take a short break and have the rest of the team join us to talk about other bills coming up this week. So, Alan, as you and Capers probably doesn't need much in the way of introduction, tell us what we need to know. Right. And I thought maybe it would be good maybe just to talk just a little bit about uh, the current funded status Absolutely. of CAPERS, sure. uh, kind of uh, where we are, and then get to the governor's specific proposal in terms of uh, reamortizing the of CAPERS course. unfunded uh, actuarial liability. And I'll just say up front, uh, I think as I've told some of the legislative committees, uh, reamortization is not a four-letter word. Uh, Definitely it's, not. It's certainly a, uh, <laughs> certainly a, a normal event that takes place in terms of long term pension funding um, I think uh, so it's a not a not a matter of um, if it will occur it's when it will occur um, and, and that's really critical that's really what we wanted you to help people understand there's been a lot of controversy and so we really want to help people understand really what is on the table very good very good and then so to kind of set that stage on where we are now in terms of the capers uh, uh, funding we'll talk just a little bit we've been making some good steady progress and then the current funding plan in terms of uh, the capers, uh, particularly the state state school, um, where, uh, of course, largest group and um, most of the attention is focused there. Um, this is just a slide uh, on the bottom left there is that capers funded ratio. And over the last roughly five years, uh, the funded ratio has improved, and, and it's exactly what you want it uh, to do. It's headed the right direction. In terms of pension funding, sort of the the markers are if a pension fund has a funded ratio of less than 60%, then all the red flags are up, the sirens are going off, somebody better do something. If it's between 60 and 80%, you're sort of in that cautionary period. Uh, you still better be uh, kind of watching where you're going. You want to make sure you're headed in the right direction in terms of proving that, improving that funded ratio. Uh, and then the goal is really to be over 80% on, on your way to 100%. And so over the last five years, a variety of things going on there. But um, certainly the direction, that funded ratio, if you can see that graphic uh, for the state school, certainly has improved from 56% up to 68%. And then on the under, other side, the unfunded actuarial liability has gone from over $10 billion uh, to just slightly below uh, $9 billion. And again, in all these numbers, uh, uh, pension funding is very directional, very long-term, and so you're always looking that 30 or 40 or 50 years out, and is it 
headed the right direction. So these two slides show that the funded ratio is headed the right direction. It's going up. The unfunded liability uh, is going down. And, and again, that's that's what you uh, want, it, want it to happen. And, and one question, I guess I would say, I think many people are familiar with the fact that we have increased, we the state, has increased the contribution rate and dollars pretty substantially. We also hear we've we've missed a lot of payments. So what 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 have been the most helpful things in increasing that ratio? Right. Um, certainly, uh, there have been two of them. One was uh, early on um, uh, that the decision was made to have the employer, the state, contribute at the uh, statutory rate lower than the actuarially required rate. And, of course, that's gone on for 25 years. And it started out uh, that first year that was missed. The legislature at that time decided it would go up one-tenth of a percent per year until they got to the actuarially required rate. And, of course, the hope was at that time that it would, would be a relatively, you know, in a couple years. Of course, it didn't work out that way, and now 25 years we're still contributing, uh, the con contributions are still less than actually uh, required. So, um, but the legislature in the last several years, certainly uh, in, in uh, 2012, uh, there was in 2015 with the uh, the creation of a new cash balance plan, a CAPERS 3, a little different plan design than CAPERS 1 and 2. Uh, there was the sale of a billion dollars, and that's with a B, uh, pension obligation right. bonds that the state's paying the debt service on. Um, and, and of course, then the third part here in the last couple of years, of course, the stock market. And over half of the income to the trust fund comes from CAPERS uh, investments. So those Okay. All three things have, have been positive in terms of the funded position. Of, so of despite paper. some missed payments and, and underfunding, the overall, all those factors are put together to allow us to see this front Still, progress. Still moving forward and moving in, in the uh, forward on that. Um, as we look... Uh, this is talking about the unfunded liability, and that unfunded liability that we currently have was set in 1993 by the legislature uh, for a 40-year period. So again, and you, you or some others may have just heard, it is sort of like the mortgage on the house um, when uh, to set up the payment schedule. And so in 1993, there, uh, that was a year of significant benefit enhancements, and so the decision was made, so uh, the additional costs that went along with that since those uh, benefit enhancements were not pre-funded. The decision was made to amortize over a 40-year period. Standards have changed. You can no longer amortize public pension plans over 40 years, uh, but uh, that's what it was in, in 1993, and so uh, that's, that's the sort of the mortgage on the house that we're working with right now. If I could clarify one thing, though, just to help me remember, in 1993, there was at that time some unfunded debt as well correct. Was yes. there at that time a, a a target date or did these things kind of happen together, kind of a new set of benefits, but we're going to we're going to set a target? That, that's right. It was in 1993 those benefits were enhanced and that's when that uh, there wasn't an existing unfunded liability um, and a lot of t back in those days was some some uh, variety or uh, I guess some uh, some variants, but close to 
uh, you know, in the 80% funded ratio uh, would have been where uh, CAPERS uh, would, okay. would have been. So what they said at 93, increased benefits, 40-year period, pay, paying it off. And every three years, the board does this triennial experience study where they look at all the assumptions. They look at uh, also uh, amortization periods and mortality and demographics and all those uh, good good things. And in fact, the last time, uh, this may be kind of a fine point, but the board did, based on our consulting actuary's recommendation, decide to st- it's a it's kind of a new methodology in the actuarial world. Well, tell uh, us all about that. that. <laughs> is, uh, uh, so you take the experience from each year now and you layer that out uh, roughly out over uh, 20 years. So any unfunded liability because of uh, demographics, experience, uh, whatever caused it uh, in, let's say, uh, in 2017, that unfunded liability now will stand alone and pay. It's like adding a, its own separate brick sort of okay. in, in that unfunded liability wall, and that liability then will be paid over 20 years. And, and then next year, same thing. And in 2018, whatever the results were then in terms of that annual valuation, that will be layered out over the valuation over over 20 years. And so it's kind of a best practice in the actuarial world. Um, and it's also trying to eventually, as you get close to the extinguishing the debt, so our, our, that 1993, 40 years, uh, 2033, uh, there's a big drop-off in con- contributions um, uh, for that. And so that's the way to kind of help mitigate that big uh, cliff so, so for too, employer So is it too simplistic to say we've already kind of started reamortizing? A uh, form of it, yes, uh, th- that's that's right. And the board, again, will look at it every three years. Um, and the closer you get to that extinguishment date, 2033, uh, it increases the likelihood that the board, which currently has that delegated authority on uh, amortization or reamortization, uh, that they would exercise that current delegated uh, authority. Okay. So, um, and, and I guess... Uh, just briefly, just the point in terms of the current uh, amortization uh, schedule. So it's 2033. So we're finally in the last 15 years of sort of paying that mortgage on the house. And so that's a good place to be. So now you're you're not paying. It's not all going to interest. Now you're starting to pay principal, in this case, the unfunded liability. And so if you look at all the graphs and charts, the closer you get to 2033, that unfunded liability starts to decrease at, at a pretty good, pretty good clip. Yep. So that's a, a good, a good, a good, good place you want to be. The governor's proposal that she had uh, mentioned, of course, uh, uh, in her her budget recommendations to the legislature, uh, the governor has recommended reamortizing that unfunded uh, actuarial liability. She's also recommended uh, elimination of about a little over three hundred million dollars of uh, uh, payments that are currently scheduled to be paid to capers, and that three hundred million dollars then would be rolled into the unfunded liability and then the total then would be uh, amortized then over a new 30-year period. Um, again, I said the current amortization set by the legislature in, in, in the 40s. Subsequently, the authority for amortization was delegated to the Board of Trustees, so it's a delegated authority by the legislature. Clearly, they could take that back if that's their uh, collective decision. Uh, but currently, it rests, rests with, with the board. Now, just a point of clarification, if it rests with the board, does that mean that 
well, the board could do it now if they wanted. What if they don't want to and the legislature decides that they want them to? Does that take legislation to direct them to do so? Uh, yes, it would. So it would be part of, and there's been a bill introduced right. um, uh, to reflect the governor's reorganization, and it would, it would in effect, take that's, that back. That's and basically say, okay, the point of that bill is right. to say we, we want you to do this, whether, that, that, whether that, you want to do it or not. That, that's right. Okay. Exactly. That's right. Um, I, I might, just the other thing, of course, again, I mentioned 40 years used to be kind of the common practice. There's, there's sort of the best practices now. Most of them, there's some in the accounting world, some in the actuarial world, but probably anywhere from that 15 to about 25 year in terms of an amortization schedule is what's is sort of a best practice in those in those uh, entities or those different uh, different groups. Um, so the governor's really recomm uh, recommending to reamortize the legacy unfunded actuarial liability. So that's the large the large part of the unfunded liability, um, and uh, she's recommending then uh, again that that current layering that we just talked about, mm -hmm. kind of adding that brick that we believe those will still stay in place. But again. It's the large, uh, the large legacy unfunded liability that that the governor has has recommended uh, to re reamortize. Um, just briefly on that three hundred million dollars, um, the legislature, in terms of payments to uh, contribution payments to capers, had layered those different kind of layering, but it's both I guess on the sort of the payment uh, plan. Uh, one was a sixty four million dollar payment uh, in twenty seventeen, and then one hundred ninety four million dollars in 2019 both of those the legislature said that uh, uh, that the, the amount would be paid to capers plus interest which is the the capers assumed rate of 7.75 but it will be paid out uh, paid to us over a 20-year uh, period and so that's 300 million dollars that's currently sort of in the actuary's calculation since the law says uh, it will come our way just take a little while to get there um, and so the Governor's recommending that that uh, those payments not be made for those that legislative layering of the 194 and the 64 million from a couple sessions ago. Um, so that would have to be adjusted back out of the actuary's uh, cal calculations. Okay. Um, the, the governor uh, then, uh, as we understand it then, uh, would so reset the clock, reset the mortgage on the house, and again. Clearly, uh, as if people have gone through that personally, you know your your monthly payments go down, but it now means you're going to pay a lot lot longer uh, time. And so, uh, the governor's recommendation by resetting that from 15 years to 30 years, or adding 15 years to it, um, it, it the net cost. Uh, maybe I think we'll get to some graphics here in just a second, but the the net cost then. For that reamortization is uh, 20.9 billion dollars. Again, with a B, the current unfunded liability is uh, right at 13.5 billion dollars. So, by uh, adding on those 15 years, the state's making the commitment to add uh, 7.4 billion dollars more to in capers contributions to extinguish this uh, un unfunded uh, liability. And clearly, it can be done. Um, 
um, it, 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 in terms of that funded ratio that we talked about, uh, that one sort of uh, the goal of trying to get over 80 percent funded, uh, this lower uh, payment schedule then to CAPERS, uh, for example, now the projection to get to 80 percent versus where we are now is 12 years longer. So instead of 2026 under the current plan, it would be 2038 with uh, re reamortization. And of course, the lower the funded ratio, the more the trust fund is susceptible to downturns in the economy investments. And again, over half of our uh, income to the trust fund comes from that invest investment side. Uh, and then here we have uh, just a couple graphs that uh, kind of show the, the governor's uh, rec recommendations here. Uh, in this in this graph here, the blue line is the current amortization schedule, and so you can see. And there's a little lag uh, because of some other statutory requirements. But by 2035, 2036, uh, the large legacy one is uh, extinguished, um, and that layering that the board has started is is to help prevent that big uh, drop-off in terms of employer contributions, although as I've, uh, might be a good time to be a legislator uh, that's in what about I uh, 20, go, yeah. 2036 or so to have 800 <laughs> yeah. or 900 million dollars more uh, to spend for other purposes. Yeah. Uh, uh, being on the other side of that may, may not be a bad, a bad thing. Um, the orange line in that graph shows in the governor's line. Uh, again, you can see where it's, it's it's still going the right direction, still increasing. It's just at a slower pace than than uh, than the current law one provides up to 2036. And then you can see that once you get on the other side of extinguishing the unfunded liability with the current law, then you're just kind of to the normal cost. What's uh, without any uh, paying off any unfunded actuarial liability? Um, and you can see the governor's plan, of course, goes runs out another 15 years, and that's where that in effect that. Uh, 7.4 billion dollars uh, shows so shows that. so absent any if 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 the reamortization was put into effect for 30 years and then nothing else was done at some point does this orange line also drop dramatically if nothing else is done uh, that's that that's right it would so to some extent that is a little bit the the policy issue in some ways that the legislature faces do do you keep building towards some eventual Kind of eliminating everything, right. or is there some spot at which you say a certain amount of payments every year is kind of acceptable? That, and that is correct. Although under the governor's plan, since it's it's a lower sort of base amount, the cliff isn't as dramatic once you get out there uh, compared to this 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 uh, under current law. So okay. it's still there's still a cliff, although it's a smaller cliff. So. Okay. <laughs> um, the, the next slide then just looks at uh, looks at that uh, the, the funded ratio and again if you're below 60 percent you got problems you're between 60 and 80 cautionary you want to be over uh, 80 on your way uh, way to 100 this graph the the blue one up on top again just shows uh, is current law and so you can see then again once you extinguish that unfunded liability you're basically at uh, or very near a hundred percent funded uh, which would be uh, wonderful in terms of pension fund 
representing yeah. uh, to be there. The orange line then is the uh, the, the governor. Again, it eventually it'll get it'll get there. It just takes that uh, you know 15 years longer at a minimum. Um, and, and again, this this is a graphic that just shows then the trust fund stays below that 80 percent funded for an additional 12 years, making it more susceptible, particularly to downturns. Uh, you know, in capers investments right. or the next uh, recession, whenever whenever that might come. And so, the, in to some extent, the challenge is: should there be a ser- something seriously affect investments? Then the legislature, you're again faced with: do you have to raise contributions to make? You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you start getting. Not bad choices again. That's right. It's uh, you make a g- good point there. Just in terms of with a defined benefit plan, ultimately all of that risk uh, falls to the employer. So if there is a big recession, we hope not. But if uh, when and if there is, then ultimately it means the employer, in this case the state of Kansas, has to make up those employer contributions. Of course, not only for all uh, that lost income, not revenue, not not just for state employees, but all local school district employees. Employees as as well. Okay. This next one then is uh, again just a, a, a graph that shows uh, kind of the the, the payments uh, to to capers. Blue one on the left side shows um, the current law, um, and it shows, of course, again it's heading down, uh, getting to that uh, that payoff date, sort of around twenty. 2035, um, and so it's decreasing here, particularly in the next uh, couple years. Uh, I would would mention by 2021, uh, after well more than 25 years, the legislature currently, if they stay with the current uh, increase in employer contributions, they will finally be at the actuarially required rate. So all these years of paying less than they they should have been the statutory rate, they'll finally be to that point of paying exactly what they should have as employer and even this large legacy unfunded actuary liability all this blue or mm-hmm. really is a result the largest factor is 25 years of employer contributions being less than what the actuary says and so it, it, it's not that it won't be paid it, it will be paid and it will be paid with 7.75 percent interest and that's what just rolls to that unfunded right. liability any of these missed or delayed payments they can't walk away from them they just they'll have to pay them and we'll charge them 7.75 percent so interest. it is it's just it's really no different than in your personal budget if you're um, not making the credit card payment that you're supposed to make or right. something That's like right. that uh, they that you may be allowed to keep doing it, but that just increases what you ultimately have to That's to that's pay. right. That's right. So, so um, that that slide then maybe might just uh, that orange then reflects the governor's recommendation by adding the 15 years. That's 7.4 billion dollars. And again, of course, eventually it starts to decrease as you see out there, and it it tapers tapers down as as well. Um, and, and so, um, and of course, but but just and and I guess you know for for our our viewers, our members looking at this, you know. The the essence of this still comes down to the governor kind of saying, I paraphrasing, I guess, we have we have some critical needs now and in the next few years. And so it would it is more important 
again, I, I assume this would be the position, to try to address some of those things now rather than not doing those things um, and, and, and paying off the liability earlier. That's really the essence. No, no one questions it's going to take, it'll cost more if you do it longer, but is there a higher priority for those dollars here in the short run? I, I think that's, that's fair, and, and as the governor points out, and it's an excellent point in terms of this reamortization does not impact you know, any, any uh, CAPERS benefit payments. Uh, any retiree should not have to worry that somehow this will impact them. Uh, current active people, it will not impact impact their future um, benefits. Um, so it's just a matter of when yeah. when those payments were going to come. And as you point out, the governor um, makes you know the point in terms of what's a sustainable contribution to CAPERS out of the whole state state budget. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, you can have a higher one, which has been the case in the past. But if you don't fund it, uh, the rate may be higher, but the dollars aren't there. So right. trying to sort of match up those sort of sustainable contribution rates with the dollars, uh, you know, and clearly funding of CAPERS is a governor and legislature's uh, decision. Right. So, okay. so I might just uh, on that next slide then. Uh, just some things. Again, uh, currently the reamortization policy it's rests with the board. Um, they look at it every three years, and in fact, in 2019, they're starting. It's about a year-long process uh, with the investment consultant and the actuary, um, and so they're just starting that now. And so, probably, you know, certainly by January of 2020, uh, if they're permitted to make that decision or continue to make that decision, they'll have that uh, pr process uh, done. And and so, um, uh, so anyway, it's it's we're, we're moving forward on it. Uh, the uh, amortization discussions that the board has, um, you know, of course, they're concerned about consistent funding improvements. Trying to uh, why you reamortize at some point is to take that volatility as you get close to the very end of paying it off for the employers, and to make sure you aren't shifting pension uh, obligations from one generation uh, to the next. So uh, might just kind of maybe just some points here, just th thinking, you know, I guess that we're headed the right direction. There is a plan in place to extinguish that remaining unfunded liability. We're, we're f 15 years out. The key to, to it, though, is always consistent, full payments of those employer contributions. That's so critical. So if we can get to that actuarially required rate, that is what is really key in terms of long-term funding of, of CAPERS. Um, should the amortization period be extended, you know, it just lowers the contributions in the short term, but of course increases them over the long term. Uh, then in terms of that uh, vulnerability to market conditions and how that might Im impact the trust fund um, certainly is, a, is uh, something to keep in mind. And just that last point there in terms of the Board of Trustees are starting that uh, discussion now. It's a very uh, sort of labor-intensive process. It's one of their uh, foundational duties as trust of, of the trust fund um, to look at uh, all of the actuarial assumptions, including uh, the am amortization period. So reamortization will happen at some point. Again, it's, just, it's not a matter of if it will happen. It's a matter of when, when it will happen. 
We don't want to keep you much longer. We want to give people, if if there are any questions, we we have we can we can see your questions if you send them in. As we give people just a minute, could you? I believe it's Tuesday. The House Appropriations Committee is having a hearing on the Senate bill that would repay the hundred and fifteen uh, million dollar. Could you kind of quickly review for us what what that means? Right, right. Uh, that really was a payment that was due for uh, CAPERS employer contributions that the 2016 legislature decided that uh, because of budget demands at that time that $97 million of that would not be paid, but uh, the statute said that that would be repaid within 24 months, so by the end of fiscal year 18 plus interest. So the principal, the $97 million plus interest, gets you to $115 million the law said be paid off at the end of fiscal year 18. Then along came the 2017 legislature, and the decision was made to strike that repayment language. So that that repayment language then of 115 million dollars uh, no longer is there. Uh, again, it's not stricken from the books. That means it just goes to that unfunded liability. We're told in that 7.75 percent to be paid at some point uh, down down the road. The the bill uh, that has passed the Senate and the House Appropriations Committee will consider on Tuesday then uh, is a $115 million payment uh, for that skipped, delayed payment of $115 million that was promised to be paid by the 2016 legislature. Uh, this bill, Senate Bill 9, uh, would make that $115 million payment for that those funds, those contributions that were missed or skipped. So this is a, a, a missed payment that was sort of agreed upon, would not be paid, and now the Senate's policy, at least, is we, we think we have the money, we will go ahead and pay. That is correct. One question that, that came in is, has your board talked at all about what what would be an ideal time to reamortize? Right. If, yeah. I think probably two keys there. One are the employers making that actuarially required rate that we talked mm-hmm. about. And the second, that the funded ratio, that 68%, would have to be higher. So the closer we could get to maybe cl- closer to that 80%. Mm-hmm. So uh, probably, uh, you know, in the perfect world, probably not this triennial experience study, but maybe in the next, uh, you know, five to seven years, uh, Again, assuming those actuarial contributions mm-hmm. are being made um, and the funded ratio is improved to get us close to that uh, 80%, 80% yeah. mark. It's, in, it's interesting uh, because that kind of falls within one of the challenges the legislature is facing that we're concerned about is our, our four- to five-year phase-in of the school finance uh, system, which was kind of based on the idea that, well, we need to ease into it. And so the state's cash position is pretty good right now in terms yes. of reserves. That'll get more difficult. Again, kind of so if the argument is, well, this is, this is maybe too soon, um, uh, you know, how, how do those balance out? I yeah, that's, that's right. And that'll be a tough decision, of yeah. course, for legislators to, to deal with. Any, uh, any questions? I'm kind of looking around our live studio audience to see whether there's <laughs> anything we're seeing. Well, Alan, any, any last-minute comments? Uh, uh, I'm sure you've probably got to go prepare testimony, or maybe we've already helped you prepare uh, <laughs> you, you've for been next a big, Wednesday. Big so I appreciate that. That's <laughs> right. That. Now no, we that's... have to decide our <laughs> testimony, so we wanted to hear from you first. I'm sure it'll be positive. I'm sure it'll be positive. <laughs> oh, it'll be so, positive. Yeah. <laughs> <We> just... <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, I think this issue, again, the, the amortization or re-amortization, again, it'll happen. It's just a 
matter of when um, and I guess who's in the best position uh, in terms of making that decision when when that that happens okay. uh, and again the, that whole unfunded liability final thought it's you know again it's an obligation of the state uh, they own it they can't walk away from it it'll be paid at some point okay. but again whenever it is paid until that time we're charging so 7. You, 7 bucks your message is the employee this issue is not so much for the employees they're going to get their benefit the issue really is for the state in that short-term funding relief versus long-term interest we do have a question from our live studio audience yeah. sorry is, is there a way to estimate guesstimate what the difference between the governor's plan and when you would consider an ideal time to re-amortize, what a difference in those costs would be? I mean, once the, the governor's plan, uh, you know, if Happens it's phased, phased in, you know, it probably, uh, once you kind of get into it, it's, it's probably getting close to about $200 million a year difference. So the first five years of uh, under re-amortization uh, in terms of, Current contributions that should come to, to the capers versus under the plan, it's about $770 million less in those first five years uh, compared to the to the current amortization. So once it kind of gets all phased in, you're probably in that ballpark at about $200 million a year less coming to the trust fund. And, of course, and that means that's $200 million more that's available for other purposes in the overall state budget. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, uh, we want to thank Alan as always. Um, we're going to take just a short break while we reset some of our team. I think uh, Rob's going to put something up for that. Alan, thank you very much. We're, we, you're always so generous with your time. And again, hopefully we've we've kind of helped you get ready for uh, for <laughs> for Wednesday always, as we all think. Always about glad it as well, to visit so. with uh, you and your members. Okay. If they have other questions, be glad. Absolutely, to take I'm them sure they'll be happy to do that. You. So, yeah. okay. I'm just going to quickly tick off a couple of things and, and kind of let you guys uh, jump in, whoever has anything to say. Uh, probably the big issue was Senate Bill 44, the first day of hearing in the Senate uh, Select Committee on Education Finance continues Tuesday. That is the governor's school finance plan, uh, an, really an hour full of proponents and, and staff briefing. Um, I think the key thing that came out of that was the plaintiffs essentially saying if the bill was passed as is without amendments, they would satisfy that, uh, that they would accept that, uh, go to the court and say this is fine as long as the court retained jurisdiction to keep it. Is that kind of what everyone else heard or anything else strike you out of those hearings? Well, I think uh, the, the hearings, I mean, we had school districts testifying in favor of the bill, uh, and uh, uh, but, uh, Republican leaders are definitely skeptical. And uh, they did uh, introduce a bill at the rail last last night to uh, basically fund one year of the governor's plan. And I think that's something that we're going to continue to, to hear and have to learn about. There is a, a sense by some legislative leaders that the governor's plan isn't enough to satisfy the court, and yet basically saying it's also too much to pay for. So uh, working through those issues is going to be the real challenge. The House has not yet scheduled hearings, but we expect it will happen soon. Uh, what did we learn this week also about what the Attorney General is looking for? Uh, Senator Hensley had sent a letter asking last year the Attorney General had sent a a letter to the legislature saying, hey, it'd really help us if you'd have your work done by by March 1st so that we could prepare the case. Uh, sent him a, a response back, copied to the leadership of, of both chambers, and, and pretty much said two things. If they're only going to, or if the response is just going to be to add the inflationary adjustment, 
March 15th would give his team enough time to prepare those arguments for the brief filing deadline of April 15th is set in again in sixth decision. If the legislature chooses to change anything <laughs> in the formula and make any adjustments that are outside of the scope of what the court has already determined to meet their 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 constitutional adequacy requirements, then he would prefer that that work be done prior to March 1st to give them the additional time to put it together. He also did note in the letter that last year, that letter and that date was given to them with the knowledge that both the House and the Senate had hired legal counsel uh, to provide and support and was documenting the process. Neither chamber has done that this year, and so most of that preliminary work is not being done. Right. Uh, and so the, the AG's office will have to do some work to pull all that together. Minutes, uh, documents that are supplied to the committees, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that we might see possibly again uh, another shortened timetable for the attorney general's office to prepare to do their job best. In other words, if you want to go the fairly simple route, you've got more time. Right. If you want to be complicated and make a lot of changes, you have to do it even faster. Yes. Uh, of course, that's not binding on the legislature. They'll, they'll work their will. One thing that may complicate that that happened this week is the Senate passage of Senate Bill 22. That is the tax cut bill uh, in light of federal changes. A lot of debate over is this a tax cut or not, but it would be a cut in projections projected revenue, revenue assuming that the bill is not passed as a result of federal changes. Um, we've talked about that quite a bit. Would simply note that came through the Senate. 26 voting in favor. That is, coincidentally, one short of a veto override should it get to that. The House has not scheduled any actions on that yet. We expect it to take longer to work its way through the House. Might remember that last year the Senate basically passed this pretty much what they just did with some other additions. The House fell one vote short on the last day of being able uh, to pass that. So we'll keep you posted. Would uh, also, uh, I guess the other major thing that happened this week, and Leah was there, was Senate Bill 7 in the Senate uh, Ethics, Elections, and Local Government Committee. That's right. Senate Bill 7 is a bill introduced by uh, Senator Tom Hawk of Manhattan to change the date of school board officer elections, not the election of the board, but the date that the board elects its officers from July to January or at a time to be determined by the local board. Uh, KASB appeared as neutral on that bill. We were represented by our president, uh, Patrick Woods of the Topeka School Board. He testified that uh, we are neutral because we don't have specific policy language on the election of the date of your officers. That's because we really couldn't get a consensus from our members um, in time to develop our policy position for 2019. Two school board members from Kansas, Mary Sinclair from Shawnee Mission and Carla Hagmeister from Manhattan Ogden, testified in favor of the bill. They said, you know, they appreciated having that uh, leeway to to elect those officers um, at a time other than July, and they also expressed uh, appreciation to Senator Hawk uh, for the, the flexibility there that was awarded for local boards. So um, overall, a pretty good hearing, and the uh, committee chair, Senator Elaine Bowers of Concordia, said that she expects to work the bill in the next couple of weeks. So Working the bill means, you know, uh, look at amending it. There is a, a kind of a technical-ish amendment to help the uh, Wichita School District with it's uh, the way it elects its uh, districts, and then uh, 
then, then, then after the bill is worked, it is advanced to the full Senate. So certainly, if you have thoughts, concerns, pro or con this bill, uh, still in committee, you have the opportunity to try to contact members of that committee. Um, assume it's probably fairly likely that the, the committee will be supporting it, would then move right. to the full Senate and then presumably on to the House if we're successful. Those were kind of the big issues that were this week. I, I'm going to outline some of the big ones coming up. Uh, I'm going to try to move relatively fast to stay within our hour, but I'm going to ask my colleagues to kind of <laughs> jump in, and then we're going to get to decide after this meeting who gets to testify, right. if at all, on any of these. So we're kind of going to go chronologically. Monday at 1.30, the Senate Education Committee is having a hearing on Senate Bill 128, which was just introduced this morning. This deals with that issue of safety drills that became a real problem, kind of a last-minute, rather obscure amendment to the state fire marshal's office, ended up dramatically increasing the number yes. of, of safety <laughs> fire tornado drills that has to be done. This bill would set it at nine drills sort of allocated between fire drills, tornado drills, and safety drills. Um, so this was kind of worked out as a compromise between the fire marshal, education leaders, so I anticipate we'll be speaking in favor of it. Uh, this is real short notice, but the committee secretary has said if you do want to offer testimony, work with her. We'll be sending out some something today with her contact information, or, or most of you can probably find it, uh, but uh, there is there is still an opportunity to testify this, even at relatively short notice. So that's kind of Monday. On Tuesday, the uh, House Education Committee, make sure that's right, House Education, 130 has a hearing on House Bill 2166, um, requiring a course in personal financial literacy to graduate. Uh, Rob, you want to say a few things about that? I think you're kind of kind of working on sure. this issue. Uh, th this bill would, would amend the statute that currently requires the the government education classes as a, as a course and, and add to it an additional class on financial literacy, and it's pretty prescriptive in what that class should cover, both knowledge of savings and investments and, and lending and, and informational. Uh, I'm drafting testimony right now. Uh, certainly we feel like this is already covered uh, by, by many districts in the state of Kansas and, and that this is this kind of falls under the purview of the State Board of Education and also our local boards to determine what those requirements are going to be uh, for students to graduate. Uh, we, KASB has in, in our policy recommendations since 2015 recommended a policy of including financial literacy in the, the guidelines for school districts and, and many have adopted that into their policies and are already here. So it, it feels a little bit redundant possibly of a requirement and, and and maybe possibly a little bit beyond the, the scope of the need of what the legislature should act on. This is a key thing. We would just say that uh, the legislature really needs to hear from you. So you've got a little more time on this. Uh, the normal deadline for turning in testimony for a Tuesday committee would probably be Monday, likely Monday morning. Uh, so we would strongly encourage you to reflect over the weekend. If you've got thoughts on this, either come to Topeka or at least submit a written testimony or, or contact us if you if you have concerns and we can, we can look at sharing some of those uh, as well. Uh, might just quickly mention also Tuesday that morning is the hearing on Senate Bill 9. That's that $115 million CAPERS payment that we will be paying uh, some attention to. And then also at 9 that morning on, make sure you got the right, nope, we're moving now to Wednesday, I believe. Wednesday at 9, the House Committee on Local Government is having a hearing on House Bill 2136. This is also a fairly new bill, and it just says, and I quote, no member of the governing body of a municipality, which includes school districts, shall 
resign from the member's position on the governing body for the purpose of being appointed to another position of the same governing body if it would result in the lengthening of the member's term. So this is kind of in reaction to a couple of rather well-publicized incidents around the state that I don't specifically remember, but I guess what it comes down to is that this has been a bit in the news. So if this, if we're talking about you and you still think it was a great idea, you might want to share the reasons why with the committee. Uh, if we have a concern, I think KSB does not have a specific position on this. It seems like a policy the legislature could adopt, but it is it is perhaps more restrictive than, than you know, for example, it's been pointed out. You can be appointed from the House to the Senate, uh, <laughs> even if that uh, lengthens your term. So some of it really is going to be a question of saying, you know, is, is the harm perhaps perceived more important than kind of taking away some flexibility where we all know from many local boards simply finding people to serve <laughs> is often a real challenge. Uh, I, some board members have that, what's the attitude just when I thought I was out they pulled me back in uh, because it's literally a matter of, of the struggle to find someone. So keep that in mind. Um, also Wednesday at uh, at that same time, 9 o'clock, is when the House Pensions, uh, fin- inst- Financial Institutions and Pensions Committee will hear the reamortization bill. You should now be extremely well-schooled on that uh, from Alan's comment. But if you do have thoughts or concerns, uh, feel free to talk about that. Uh, and then on finally on Wednesday, I think we can say finally at 3.30, <laughs> the House Education Budget Committee is going to have a hearing on 2186, House Bill 2186. Leah, that's the same thing as a bill you testified that's on. Right. Tell us all about the issue involved here. <laughs> Well, the issue is uh, the this bill and Senate Bill 16 that we testified on yesterday authorized school districts to use at-risk funds on evidence-based learning programs that assist students. Uh, and they specifically mention uh, the JAG-K program. JAG-K is Jobs for America's Graduates Kansas, a program that many of you are familiar with uh, in your districts. It helps uh, at-risk kids graduate from high school and enter the workforce and actually does some follow-up with them for for a year uh, to make sure that they are, you know, at the best opportunity to succeed in their uh, their career and their their, uh, path. The uh, the concern that we had, it's not really a concern because we testified as neutral, is that JAG-K is a great program and our legislative policy supports, you know, additional programs and the funding for those programs that are evidence-based. But, you know, to cite a specific program in the statute can be a little bit problematic. It starts out kind of saying, yes, this is a good program. And then as the months and years go by and you add additional programs to that list, it often becomes limiting. Only these programs are appropriate. So uh, I guess the concern for this uh, situation arose that from the uh, the fact or the the concern that TANF funding, which helps pay for JAG, might be taken away from that program, and so I think there's some concern about trying to make sure you know that this program gets appropriation. Well, as we noted in our testimony, there are a lot of excellent programs that help students, but they are they are not uh, adequately funded either, and so to you know to to call out one in statute 
is something that we don't think is really needed? I think I think that has been our, our primary concern. And again, not I think we feel if, if the bill passes, it, it yes. doesn't really change anything. And if it highlights a program that seems to be a good program, probably nothing That's wrong fine. with that. But mm-hmm. again, probably many districts could come in and say, here's another great program mm-hmm. we'd like to have identified. Uh, we'll just note we've we've had a lot of contact with with people involved in that mm-hmm. program. They, they have some really impressive success stories. I certainly think this is a good thing for local boards to look at and consider, mm-hmm. and some already are using their funds right. uh, to fund it. Uh, it. It is arisen, and just in case you're, you're not fully aware, TANF, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, what common parlance might be welfare funding usually goes for sort of basic family supports. Right. This is an authorized use. The federal government has approved this, That's right. but the question is whether this is the most appropriate use of those dollars, and that is something that could... that was one policy of the Brownback administration, it could change. So that may be what's driving the concern here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we don't really know, but again, that will, Leah will have a chance, I think, to probably so, explore this yeah. thing again. One more bill, try to stay on time, and then we'll see if there's any other things we want to get to, uh, is going to be Thursday at 3.30. Uh, this is House Bill 2150, the Kansas Hope Scholarship Act. Uh, and what this essentially is, is... Uh, vouchers for students who report a bullying incident would be the the triggering eligibility um, and and this would differ somewhat from our current state private school scholarship program which is funded by tax credits this would be rather entirely different a child who was deemed eligible because they reported an incident of bullying would have money uh, from essentially their base state aid right. transferred to either another school district or a private school is essentially how this works. Um, we're still kind of going through uh, who may testify, but I know you've done some work on this. You want to add any of your concerns yes. or thoughts, and then I'll let the rest of us yes. talk a little bit too. First of all, we need to acknowledge that bullying is a problem across the educational spectrum, not just in public schools, and so it's not acceptable, and we, you know nobody is saying that, uh, that bullying is not a uh, continually an issue. However, KSB does um, oppose the use of vouchers or scholarships that take money away from public schools and transfer that money to schools that really don't have the same accountability measures that public schools do. Um, you know, we don't know that this scholarship would, you know, does this ensure that the student's not going to be bullied at the receiving school? You know, that's, it's certainly not a guarantee. Um, do do kids in the more sparsely uh, populated areas of the state even have access to another school that they could attend? And, you know, frankly, um, are the private schools even uh, required to admit kids who you know, are be, maybe are being bullied because of certain attributes that they may or may be perceived to have. You know, are the are the private schools even required to accept those kids? So there's a number of issues with this. I think that will have to be explored. Other thoughts, guys? Yeah, I, th- I think that this this looks to be a, a new effort to to address issues and concerns of bullying, but it it brings up some and, and even some logistical concerns. It'll it'll certainly be interesting to see how the, the state treasurer's office it, mm-hmm. this, it would be tasked with tracking this information for students over the years and and what that information would be and 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 possibly some data about how the funds that would be dedicated, which would be the base aid amount that would be allocated to a student. So at our current schedule, about forty five hundred dollars. Uh, what kind of access that would give 
uh, a potential student to a scholar. So I, I think there's certainly some some intention of trying to solve issues of bullying uh, in, in this issues, and I believe we'll be having this discussion right. pretty heavily on, on two or three different bills over the course of the next two or three weeks. Um, but as yeah. Leah mentioned, there's some, some significant concerns with the way this bill is drafted. I, I think a, a, uh, a plea to our viewers, to our members is uh, you, you need to be preparing to talk about what you're doing to address bullying, the challenges you face in doing so, uh, how we can improve it. I think that this hearing, although really you know, it is this interesting nexus between kind of school choice, but only in a particular case. Right. So both, I think, are rather on the table. And I think that the committee needs to hear the kind of things that districts are, are already working for in this area. Because after all, for all the reasons Leah said, uh, even if you, you know, stipulating there, there are problems with bullying, at, at best, many students would not be able to take advantage uh, of this program. And the bill, the bill by itself does nothing uh, for for those students. So, uh, and, but, I, but I think Rob is exactly right. Uh, we need to be prepared uh, for a number of bills coming in, legislators responding to to concerns that they hear from parents and students, and, and I'm sure I'm sure our administrators and school board members also do. So we need to have it seems a conversation about what are comprehensive policies to solve this. Scott, do you want to add anything? Well, I was <clears throat> I was doing research. I Googled. And uh, th this uh, similar program has been passed in Florida. And, and one of the criticisms in Florida is that it has the unintended consequence or could have the unintended consequence of actually increasing some bullying mm. because kids will target someone with the uh, notion that, well, the kid will enroll somewhere else. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird... Uh, well, it is an interesting dynamic, and, and I think, you know, I don't want to, I shouldn't say this without researching, but, you know, it would just be on the Internet anyway. It'd be interesting to look and see if there is data about bullying statistics or anything like that and whether whether this sort of thing um, uh, has helped. And, and frankly, from a mechanical viewpoint, what's rather curious is the bill requires the student to report the, an incident of bullying, mm -hmm. not to them, merely that it was observed. So as, as I read the bill, if you see someone being bullied, you would be eligible for the scholarship. You are required to report this, and there has to be an investigation, but the investigation doesn't have anything to do with whether or not this would be affirmed. So any student's allegation of anything uh, involving bullying would qualify them to presumably receive the scholarship. So um, what one would argue that if the bill is really that wide open, it might, might let, let's just have a debate about having private school scholarships um, because that's clearly the sort of thing that it would open up to if that if that's going to be the case. So, But expect a, expect a, a, a crowded room. Uh, but, but again, it is really important that your voices be heard. And I, and I do want to underscore um, there, there's, there's likely to be, we know, another bill was, was uh, voted on by the House Education Committee to be introduced. Um, there, there, we've, we've heard of some others potentially out there. So educating your legislators on what you're doing, issues, challenges, and the most effective way to deal with it is going to be critically important. 
Well, I think we're just about to run out of time. We'll give just a moment to see whether any questions that people want to send to us on whatever device you have that you think you can reach us by. We'll all watch our phones. Uh, any uh, any final thoughts, guys, uh, for as we wrap up this week and start looking ahead? Yeah, I, we kind of mentioned, I think, earlier, hopefully uh, our viewers out there are tuning in. Uh, each each day we do give a Facebook Live kind of a recap, and then, and then Scott also does provide that recap in the daily news brief of what's going on. But uh, it really kind of feels like now after about week four, Wednesday was really kind of the start of a, of a feel. And looking at the schedule next week, it looks like, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday will, will, will kind of be more active days. Uh, but as you pointed out, we are, we are three weeks away now uh, from turnaround. So turnaround will be Friday, March 1st. Uh, there'll be a five-day break, and then we'll come back, and, and most activity should be to second session or to, se- to the second chamber right. at that point in time. So uh, the, the calendar gets shorter and shorter pretty quickly. It, it does, and I think that is why it's really important to understand you know, the way the legislative calendar works. We basically have until next Friday to introduce legislation and then essentially a week after that to finish all hearings. So I may have a question uh, coming in. Um, uh, there is some, I, I think we have a, maybe a reflection question for our audience, and that is concerns about coddling students uh, by letting them home, I guess, in the cold. Uh, I, I certainly, at, at my morning, at my morning uh, breakfast stop, there's always a lot of vigorous community discussion about what we're doing uh, right and wrong. Um, so I'm sure you're all dealing with a lot of that as well. There have not yet been any bills uh, dealing with school closure coddling. that I know of. So. Coddling. What state it was, but uh, a legislator actually introduced a bill to eliminate snow days because. Yep. I don't know. We have not mic'd up Dr. Heim, who's in here evaluating us today, but has noted there was a state where a bill was introduced to eliminate snow days uh, altogether, um, which, again, probably some parents would support. It was in Florida. Florida is not going to have any snow days. All the hurricane days you want, but none of those. So that's good. Uh, but so can search back. I, I've heard more of the. I was out of school by then, but the the decade of the aughts at the USD two five three and, and no snow days ever apparently. Because because of the overbearing uh, superintendent yeah. management thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll be asking Dr. Heim to share his reflections on snow days or, or lack thereof. The point I think I was trying to make is just remember, uh, be watching, because it's entirely possible that bills will be scheduled with very short turnaround. So we will be reporting daily new bills that come in. We will let you know when hearings are scheduled. But I think one thing we saw again this week, legislators really like to hear from board members and superintendents who can come in and and stu oh and that is absolutely right if you can bring in some students knocked it out of the park that's right so if you've got some students who want to who want to talk about any of these issues want to talk about snow days bullying um capers reamortization anything like that but yeah you know it may it may seem really intimidating and i know it's not easy for some people to get to topeka but make a day of it bring bring your kids or your staff or whoever up will work with you, but legislators really like to hear from people other than the same old lobbyists all the time. So um, if there's nothing else, any other questions? If not, we will anticipate seeing you all, we hope, and more uh, next Friday at the same time, and we'll figure out who our special guest will be at that time. (laughs) Thank you very much.